Yo, yo, what it do? Blizz D, homie. I'm hanging out with the Misfits on the Who They Want podcast. If you ain't here, you ain't about it. Blizz D, homie. Yo, 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 you already know what it is, what it be, what it ain't. But what it really is. This is Psychedelic Chilling with the Misfits on Who They Want podcast. This is a riddle. Man, it'll be what it is this your boy captain capo grown on standby for the run by with the misfits on who they want podcast you ain't bought it if you ain't here so stay tuned grown yo 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 this is fp3 chilling with the misfits on who they want podcast the one and only stay tuned what's up y'all this is lady tasha better known as the duchess and you already know i'm rocking with the misfits on a who they want entertainment podcast show and don't forget, go and download everything Entertainment Expo app and get blocked in or bow down. Steady, are you ready? Mm. Daddy, are you ready? Mm. Steady, are you ready? <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to be who they want. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the internationally known podcast show that does everything that they don't. You're now tuned into the award-winning Who They Want podcast show. I am your host for the evening, DJ Steady. Are you ready? And tonight I bring you a special guest for a long overdue introduction, Arthur, here to tell this story. Chop it up with me personally. Shout out to my man, Stephen Joyner. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Neil Gitzlow. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Can't complain. Good. So, so tell the audience about yourself. Let's kick this thing off right. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you having me on and letting me share my story with, with, uh, with your um, audience. Um, yeah, we'll just, we'll just jump right in. It's going to be an interesting conversation. A lot of different paths we can go down for sure as we get into it. So I'll just jump in and then you stop me anytime you want to get some clarity on what I'm talking about. I'm happy to share whatever and wherever mm-hmm. it goes. Um, right. But um, yeah, I um, recently published a book uh, called Unmasked, Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. And that book really, um, it, it outlines the the lifelong struggle to addiction to pornography mm-hmm. um, that I had in my life, which really started um, when I was first exposed to porn at the age of nine. Okay. There, there was a, a, a forest, a wooded area behind our elementary school, not much of a forest, but we nicknamed it the Playboy Forest. And that's because inside this little forest area around the campfire are these ripped up pieces of Playboy magazine. So it wasn't the whole magazine, but you got enough uh, a glimpse of what was in there as a nine-year-old. And um, well, once I saw that, I, I was hooked. 
and that's uh, it's something that that stayed with me for for 40 years um, dealing with with an addiction to pornography and you know but the, the thing is um, and, and I'll say too like I used to be the kind of person who would say even though I was doing it I would say I was I'm never I'm not addicted right, right. I, I always thought the addiction part was just an excuse for people to not take accountability for their actions agree uh, and um, but I will say um, it got to a point where it just became all encompassing all everything I just filled up my on my thoughts the entire time and it, it soon it just like any drug it became more and more like how do started by just looking at magazines I grew up in the you know when, when I was a kid it was the late 70s early 80s mm -hmm. so grew, grew up looking at magazines um, my parents got divorced so I became a typical latchkey kid home I lived with my mom home alone all the time and right. Either side of her um, nightstand, she had these. Uh, either side of her bed, she had these two nightstands that were full of Playboy and Pentas magazines, and that's how I filled up my time. That's how I, I was. I had this hole in my heart that I could never fill up because I was alone, feeling not loved, and that's what um, that's where it started. But soon, you know, as I became moved into adulthood, you know, the, just looking at the pictures and then soon videos. It wasn't enough, and I had to, you know, kind of like, like a drug addict. You have to you move on to a harder and more hardcore type of activity, and and that's what I did. And it went from from looking at the images to then maybe it's going to a strip club uh -huh. or, or going to you know an adult theater, um, and you know that kind of ebbed and flowed. And then, but it really kicked off. Um, I'd say six or seven years ago when um, my addiction led me to starting to search out prostitutes and, and paying women to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. And so um, that, that that addiction ultimately led me to a hotel room in Chicago in February of 2020, where I set up an arrangement to meet a prostitute. Um, this is in downtown Chicago. Uh, went, to the, um, went to the appointment as I was getting ready to leave. Um, the door from the other room in, in the hotel room opened up, and this rather large gentleman, um, about 6'5", 300 pounds, dressed in drag, no less. He looked like a lineman from the off Chicago Bears. Uh, but he comes out of the room, and he's holding up his cell phone. And I can see on his cell phone, it's a picture of my wife's social media account and her contact information. And she... Um, or this this guy says you're going to need to, to pay us more money, or we're going to call your wife. Wow. But, yeah, and I mean I've been in these like obviously this was not the first time I had set up an appointment like this, so I I'm used to weird things happening. But this is probably the first time in my life where I'm like, well, you know, this is a coin flip whether I'm going to make it out of here or not. Absolutely, it's just how you know a turn of event when you like you said if you was already kind of regular in the motion of doing it, didn't see no problem, and then you know, this, what they would call today catfish moment occurs to you. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, my, my only thought, the adrenaline kicks in and I just like, I need, I need to get out of here. I don't want my wife to get a call saying, Hey, your husband's dead in the hotel room. He was knocked off by a prostitute. So um, mm -hmm. about $900 later, I actually made it to the door and um, got out of the room and started sp basically sprinting toward the elevator. But I could hear the, hear this hotel room door open up behind me and it, she yells out. She's like, "Hey, you're gonna need to pay us more money, or we're gonna call your wife." 
Well, at that point, elevator doors open up. I jump in, get out of the hotel, and I go on with my day. And really, like, this is why I titled my book Unmasked, because I had all these business meetings that rest of that day. Nobody had no idea that um, that I was just blackmailed by a prostitute. I mean, I had right. gotten so good about hiding this secret life, keeping everything hidden, bottled up. Nobody knew what was going on. I was just your average, typical uh, guy out there, nice guy, um, you know, good worker, good family man. That's all anyone ever saw. But hidden behind this mask was this lifetime of, of addiction and secrets. And now, now I've been blackmailed by a prostitute. But uh, I, I made it back home to Kansas City that night. And then three days later, this is Sunday, March 1st, 2020. I like to say this is really the, the, the first time that God hit me in the head with a two by four uh, during this adventure. Um, it's 930 at night. I'm working on my laptop and my phone starts going off and it's this couple again. And they're, they're texting me again. They're texting me, my wife, Amy, her contact information, her social media pages saying, you have 15 minutes to pay us more money or we're going to call it me. And again, I'm thinking, like, there's no way. Like, why would they call Amy? They got to be bluffing. Like, I just, yeah. and, this is fairly naive of me to think, right? But I'm thinking, I'll just string them along. They'll get bored and they'll move on and everything will be good. Right. Well, no, that, sadly, that wasn't the case. And exactly 15 minutes later, I hear my wife's cell phone go off upstairs in the bedroom. And I hear the conversation going on. And then I hear the door opens from our bedroom, the footsteps coming down the hall into my office and the door flies open. And of course she's like, are you cheating on me? And um, and of course I did what any good addict would do at the time. You know, I, I lied. Like, I, <laughs> this is, I've never done this before. This is the first time anything like this uh, you know, ever crossed my mind. Right. I don't, I don't want a divorce. You know, I want to work on things. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, of course, I was more sorry for being caught than I was for. I believe it. Right, you know, than for actually causing this this pain and this hurt that I brought to my family. So, uh, my wife is obviously very confused, but she, you know, we agreed to work on things, and that's that was also right at the time. So, two weeks after this happens, coronavirus strikes, and so okay. now we're, we're locked down. Um, we both had jobs that. Um, unfortunately were impacted by the pandemic. And so for two months we were both out of, basically out of work. And um, just, you know, we, we had a lot of time in our hands to try to work on this and had some very awkward conversations, but you know, I still hadn't addressed it. So um, about six weeks later, this is a visit from God number two uh, as part of this story. Um, this is middle of April in 2020 and my addictions flare up again. Um, and I set up an appointment with someone that I had an arrangement with in Kansas city. And, you know, I was setting up this arrangement on my laptop, all my text messages were on there, but here's the thing. Anytime I leave the house and I know Amy's around, mm -hmm. I always locked my laptop down tight because if she ever got on there and was able to see what was on here, she, my secret life would be blown up. And, um, so I swear I left the house to go have this appointment and my laptop was locked. But uh, apparently it wasn't because probably 10, 15 minutes down the road as I'm on the way to this appointment, um, my phone starts blowing up again. And this time it's Amy. She had gotten onto my locked computer somehow and started screenshotting all these messages that I was sending to this other woman. Mm -hmm. And basically she's like, what is going on? 
And so, of course, I never made it to that appointment. And I turned around and, and came home the whole time thinking, well, okay, now how am I going to get out of this one? You know, things are starting to unravel. I don't have a real good story here. What, you know, what's going on? Um, I make it home and, you know, I don't know what, um, I don't even know what I said to Amy at that, that moment. Um, whatever it was, she wasn't buying it, of course, right? I mean, she, you know, she had seen enough to know, like, something's going on here. Right. Um, she did say, look, if you want to save this marriage, you're going to have to God for help. All right. So I'm going I'm to pause there and, and sort of explain why, how God got into this equation. Yes, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, because we, um, Amy and I had gotten married um, about eight years ago. And, um, but before we got married, um, neither of us were really believers in God. Um, Amy grew up Catholic. Um, so she had the familiarity with Jesus, but wasn't, you know, wasn't practicing at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up, grew up in a Jewish household. All my friends were Jewish, um, but I didn't have a relationship with God. It was really, for me, it was about the culture. It was about the Jewish food, and it was about, you know, the jokes and the comedy. And so, um, and also, I would say, by the time I was an adult, I really believed I was an atheist. And just mm -hmm. like, hey, that we're here. We do our thing. We die. And that's it. And that's, that's what I believed. So um, three months after Amy and I got married, she tells me she is now a born again Christian. Okay. So um, that's a that's a pretty tough pill to swallow for someone who, at the time, myself, again coming from a Jewish background where Jesus is a name you're not supposed to speak about, um, and, and then really being an atheist. I mean, I thought she had gone crazy. And it's like, why couldn't you told me this, you know, three months ago before we got married? That might have changed things. So, anyways, fast forward back to, to the finish of this story, and um, Amy told me to pray um, after the second encounter. Um, so we went to bed that night, woke up the next morning. Uh, Amy had already left the house. She was gone, and I don't know where she had gone to at the time. So I was like, well, this is a, must be a good enough time as any to pray. And um, I was laying there in bed, and, and that's what I did. And I just said, hey, God, I, I don't know what to do. I'm caught in this these addictions that I don't know how to get out of. Uh, my world is crumbling. You know, send me a sign. Let me know that you're out there and can help. And um, we'll go from there. And uh, as soon as I ended that prayer, the garage door opens up and it's my wife, Amy. And Amy is the key to the whole story um, because it really she just, um, she's the one that led me to, uh, to my faith. Um, so she comes home and I tell her, hey, look, I prayed, you know, I, I wanna work on our marriage. Um, you know, I, I want to work through this and she, you know, she reluctantly agreed. I, I, again, I feel, still think she's trying to figure out who she's married to and, and what the heck is going on. But, um, she agreed that we'll continue to work on things. And then finally later that evening, this is God shot number three to the okay. head. Um, we're sitting on the couch talking and, and now it's Amy's turn to get a random message and she gets this random Facebook message from some guy we don't know, and all the message says is, do you know Neil Getzlow? Now, I don't know why or what caused me to react this way, but I absolutely felt this overwhelming urge that I needed to confess everything to Amy. And it, as I write in the book, it felt like I was getting ready just to, to throw up. Like, any, you know, when you're about ready to get sick, you can feel your stomach gurgling and it just works its way up through your throat and, 
And Absolutely. And, that nervous feeling, you're sweating bullets. Yes. And it comes out and you can't stop it. And, and that's what I did. I threw up all over the floor of our marriage. And um, I will say I felt 100% better, like, like you normally would after you get sick. Like you feel better and, um, you Set know. Set yourself free of the guilt in that situation. Yeah. But now, of course, I just let that all out. Now, what's Amy's reaction going to be? But um, exactly. <laughs> but um, she what 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 she said next absolutely changed my life. It transformed my life without question. Uh, she looked up at me and she said, "Neil, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for yours? I forgive oh, you." Oh, now that's deep. <laughs> Man, that's I tell deep. you. What, Again, this is now keep in mind where this, this who this is coming from, a, a cynical Jewish atheist person, but you can't convince me that that was not Jesus talking to me through Amy, his forgiveness for me, because the moment she said those words, it felt like the chains of this addiction just broke away. Mm -hmm. And and I um that was in April of 2020. Since that day, I have not been tempted to look at pornography. I have not been tempted to stray outside of my marriage, to visit a prostitute. Any of that. Um, I salute that. That's that's an amazing. Just hearing this journey on it is just so profound. That's it, amazing. It's crazy, and I, I don't know how else to describe it. I still sit here, can can sit here and think, how did I even get here? Like I just because my life is so different today than it was eighteen months ago. Um, it's it's hard to explain, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I ended up. <laughs> that set me down the path to to try to encourage others and give other people hope. And, and um, made, that was, a, you know, made the decision last year to, to put it down on a piece of paper and, and share the story. I commend the honesty in this situation though. Cause like you said, it's this miraculous message. So, you know, by it being random, you can't say, you know, even though your belief system was totally, um, you know, going through the emotions at that time, it was just like, you can't tell me that it still wasn't God doing this, maybe even through the messages for him to still come out like, look, OK, you keep constantly telling that you have a problem. You're trying to deal with this problem. Like you say, you're trying to live this so-called double life, as you would put it. And then you're crying out. But then at the same time, you're like, OK, you know, you're bluffing me. Like, I'm going to test the waters to see just how serious you are about getting this to Amy. Like, yeah. how do you even know Amy? Because like you said, if you're going through some turmoil, even with your wife alone in this situation, you would think maybe her best friends or somebody would, you know, be spying on you. Because, you know, girls girls have their conversations amongst friends or in a hairdresser. Like, you never know who would be tempted to just, like, we're going to set Neil up. Like, we're going to see if he's sure. really, you know, doing something backwalling. And just to hear you say, look, okay, when it's now after I already was working on trying to fix it, and then now all of a sudden she's getting a message and I'm here taking now I'm seeing the message. It's like, hold on, before you even answer the yes, you know, Neil, and whatever is about to hit you, I'm going to be the man first and I'm just going to spill my guts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the key for me. Like, like I talked about accountability earlier, like you've got to take, if you're in this situation for me and this just speaking for myself, like I had to take accountability for my actions. So often over the course of my life, I would blame others for why, um, I'm addicted to pornography or why I'm acting out and doing these things, doing the, making these reckless decisions. But ultimately, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it was the accountability is on me. And um, even though Umi forgave me, and, and that forgiveness that she she had was really more for her than it was for me, because by forgiving me, it, it cut her free from all the bitterness 
and, and the hostility that she would have carried around if she wasn't able to forgive me. Mm -hmm. uh, and but, but just because she forgave me, it doesn't mean that there wasn't true accountability and, and, and responsibility that I had to take. And it's been like the, the, those addictions melted away, but that still left. We had the emotions were raw. Our marriage was broken down to its, you know, to, to, to dust. Basically, we had to rebuild everything. Um, and, and that, that took a lot of work. Um, it was, it's obviously worth it. Cause I can say right now today, our marriage is, is in the best shape it's ever been. I've got a marriage that I love and I'm proud to be a part of. Um, right. we put God in the middle of our relationship together and that made such a huge difference for us. That was huge. Um, but I, I will also say, and this is another important component of the story, because again, you know, I know there's some people out there who, who maybe aren't maybe is in touch with their faith or um, it's something that just doesn't interest them. I will also say, in addition to that piece for me, which was a key, but I also had to take control of my mental health. Mm -hmm. and, and talking to, I went and sought out a counselor. We both, we went to marriage counseling, but I did counseling on my own as well. And I just think that was also such another important piece to all of this because he unlocked so many, so many layers about my childhood and how I ended up doing the things I did. Um, it was just, it was important for me to have an outlet to be able to talk about this with someone else. And, you know, I remember the first question my, my therapist asked me when we, we had our, our first meeting, he's like, Neil, what do you remember you had to learn how to do? What's the first thing you had to remember um, you had to learn how to do as a little kid? And, and the first thing I learned, which was, I thought was a fascinating question. I think my answer even surprised me some, but my answer was I had to learn how to be alone. And that sort of unlocked a lot of, a lot of baggage for me because like I mentioned, my parents got divorced, my siblings were already out of the house. So, you know, I was home alone a lot. And right. I, had, I had this hole in my heart that I couldn't fill because I didn't have the love, I didn't have the attention of my family or my parents or friends that I had wanted. So what did I do to medicate myself? Even as a little kid, I looked at porn. But what happened was that set off this, what my therapist called the shame cycle which is basically starts off, got this hole in my heart. Nobody loves me. This is why I'm alone. I'm going to look at porn. I'm going to feel better. But I, after I look at it, I feel this incredible amount of guilt and shame. Oh, mm -hmm. this is why I'm alone. This is why nobody loves me. And then the cycle would just continue to repeat and spin and manifest itself in different ways over the course of, you know, the next 40 years of my life. And, um, so, but it was, but it was freeing for me to look back on it now and think, yeah, I mean, like, again, I, I use porn and, and sex as, as a medication, you know, where people might you turn to alcohol or drugs. That's, that was the drug of choice for myself. And anytime I felt alone or not loved or just dealing with anxiety or depression, I would instantly fall back to that crutch and it would, um, it would help for a short term. And I, mean, and I would tell you, like, I was talking to someone recently, um, someone who used to be a drug addict. We were sharing this experience about what does it mean to be an addict. And um, it was crazy. I think we, we felt the same thing about when, when he would get high and when I would go to search out a prostitute, it was that same rush we would get. Like, I'd, and, you know, for me, the rush was, okay, I'm going to find a prostitute. 
and go make go over and travel to her and the you know the sort of the adrenaline is building up as you're riding over to the hotel or to her apartment or whatever right. um, and then you get there and, and you go through the appointment but then and right when the right when the appointment's over though then this this wave of guilt and shame hits you and i get to my car and as i driving driving back home the whole time i think and this happens after every appointment i think I am not doing this again. I will not do this again. I will not do this again. And then you can convince yourself that for a little bit, but for me, maybe a week or two later, here I am in the exact same situation. It's like my brain just turns turns off. It goes into autopilot. You can't control it. And um, I would end up in this cycle where I just kept doing it over and over again. So um, I'm just, you know, again, for me, I'm grateful for God and, and the faith that I have now today that helped me break free from that. Absolutely, brother. I got to give it to you. Just hearing this introduction into this pod is like, it's an amazing and incredible story. And the fact that your honesty and accountability, I think that's what makes it so heartfelt because I can hear your sincerity into it and acknowledge it and to then acknowledge it without, you know, that shameful acknowledgement. Cause when you yeah. hear addiction, especially porn addictions, you know, some people may say, oh, it's just natural. It's okay. It's cool. Everybody looks at porn. Who doesn't? But right. like you said, when you get into the point where you're booking appointments to meet prostitutes, then it's more than just an addiction now. It's becoming some sort of hereditary problem that I'm ready to break the cycle on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, like, why, like, why do you write a book about this? Why would you want to be so public about like the worst part of your life? And which is a great question is something that I struggled with for a long time as I was writing, mm -hmm. it, which was like, how are people going to react to it? But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I felt compelled, number one, to, to tell my story to help others who might be um, in a similar situation and mm -hmm. give others hope and encouragement. Um, but I, I also think that, uh, you know, I do want people to understand the dangers of pornography. And, yeah, I know it can be, you know, if you're looking at it randomly and it could be a curiosity and where's the harm in it. But um, as I, you know, I was researching the book and just studying a lot about pornography and the effects on people, like it's it messes you up. And uh, like the, the average age that someone is first exposed to porn is 11 years old. And, you know, like even even in the church, like 60 percent of Christian men say they've looked at porn within the last 30 days. I mean, so it's it's everywhere. It's just so pervasive in our society today. And uh, but for me, you know, what it did was it messed up my mind. Like I had no idea what the difference was between sex and love. I right. used to I used to think, oh, having sex meant someone loved me. And again, this all goes back to this hole in my heart trying to fill it up, this, fill up this emptiness. But I had no idea how, what sex and love meant um, when you get right down to it. And um, yeah, it just, I had no idea how to have a relationship with a woman, no idea how to communicate. Um, it, it just, it messes you up. And, you know, I think about it now, like think about, you know, how porn messed me up physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, um, and also spiritually. It does a lot of damage to you. But I'd also say too, like, um, especially in my case where it wasn't only porn, it was prostitution. Like, you gotta think about what's happening on the other side of the transaction. 
Mm -hmm. And that was the part that was really hard for me to come to terms with. And um, because I just felt a lot of guilt over it, which is a lot of prostitutes are trafficked. They're they're, there against their will. Um, You know, they're not there voluntarily. There's someone standing them up. Maybe it's a boyfriend, pimp, whoever it is. Someone was back there setting them up and taking the money on the other side. Now, right. all, the women, all the women that I met, um, they all said they were there voluntarily. No one ever said that they were there against their will, but how do I know for sure? Um, you, know, you wouldn't know for sure until one of them, let's just say if it would have went further beyond, like, cause I'm a huge fan of Law & Order SVU. So, yeah. you know, when hearing a story like this, the first thing you initially think it would lead to is some criminally insane, you know, become because if you're going to talk psychological even though it's a porn addiction who said it wouldn't have stopped it for then you become so obsessed with you know dealing with porn versus dealing with prostitutes that okay now if i do become a serial killer these are my targets this yeah. is where i'm aiming for you know what i'm saying oh absolutely for sure i yeah definitely and and, and again so for me i had to i had to examine that uh, who's who's sitting on the other side of the transaction for me and and i think about it because i you know, someone asked me recently, like, you know, what what message do you have for sex workers? Um, because I know a lot of them. That's that's what they that's all they have, and which is which is a sad commentary, I think, on on our society today that people feel like they don't have any other option but then to sell themselves to be able to make money and make ends meet. And I hate that. Um, that's that's the case. And I just think about, you know, as much as it hurt me. Um, you know, how is it hurting this other person emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually? And, um, and I would just, you know, ask folks that are in the middle of it, whether they're users or, or one selling, you know, just think about what it's doing, um, in those areas of what it's doing to your life. Good. That's big fast. Cause I tell you, true. and it's, I just gotta say, I admire your honesty again with the situation. Because this is, I don't know, guys, listeners out there, just putting me in a Dr. Phil episode when you sit down with a great guy like Neil and he's telling this. And I'm like, man. And the beauty of it is being able to recognize it and kind of walk away from it, get clean from it, and still come back to like usual story, not for intimidation or credit, you know, incrimination no. or anything, but yeah. it's used as a powerful tool to say, look. You can make it through, make it through something like that. Like you said, if it started at nine, there's probably some people still, there's a lot of people out there that's probably still like, I ain't reading that book. He can't tell me how to do it. Did nobody need him to come confess our, you know, secrets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And I was, again, I was, I was right there the same, same way all up until February of 2020 thinking the same thing. And, you know, I'd say that like if the Neil of, um, 2019 sat down with a Neil of 2021. He'd probably look at me and think, "I have lost my mind." Like he'd think I've gone crazy um, with with all the things that I've done to sort of change, um, you know, change my life, change my lifestyle, um, to to focus on my marriage, that kind of thing. And um, you know, so like I think that's one of the other you know important parts that I really um, had to focus on. You know, if you think about it. You know, when you want to get yourself healthier 
physically, you know, you, what do you do? You like, if you want to lose weight, you stop eating junk food, stop eating chips, candy, cookies, you start Donuts. working. Out. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. But, you know, it never dawned on me until, until I went through all this, like, what was I doing to, to help get my, get myself mentally healthy? And I don't, you don't know, at least for me, I never thought about it. Like, what am I filling up my mind with? And um, I was filling up my mind with, with junk, with the junk food of the world today. And um, I was <clears throat> binging way too many Netflix shows, um, watching way too much cable TV, too, um, too plugged into social media and trying to, to engage on social media in the worst possible ways. Um, I was a huge sports fan. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I mean, I, I worshiped sports heroes. Like I worship God today. I had my priorities messed up, but what it did was like, you know, I'd go out drinking every weekend with my friends, drink excessively, smoke pot, and we'd all be out watching sports all day, all night. And while I'm leaving my wife home alone. And I was like, that's just no way to, and then all that, you know, all that does is just leads you to more temptation um, and more ways to get into trouble. <laughs> Um, so I had to make a conscious decision said, I am, um, I, I've got to stop filling up on the junk food of this world. So I, I did, that. I, I canceled Netflix. I canceled cable TV. I canceled my sports subscriptions. Um, I don't go out drink. Well, now this is maybe not necessarily like my choice. My friends, a lot of them decided <clears throat> maybe I was on a different path. Um, than they were because um, I just but we stopped going out drinking. Um, I, like and it's funny, like like I said, this this whole thing went down during coronavirus. God said to me, He's like, I'm going to take away everything you love in this world. I'm going to take away the sex. I'm going to take away the porn. I'm going to take away the booze and the pot. And I'm going to take away your sports because we're not going to have sports in 2020. I'm going to take away everything. I'm on, now it's up to you. What are you going to do to reset your life? Are you going to take advantage of this time? And um, I, yeah, I mean, and, and my my wife asked me, uh, would ask me a lot. She's like, if you think, if do you think that we would be in the same position if there wasn't coronavirus? Which is a deep question, and um, the, the honest answer is yeah, probably not. Like I would have had the I would have had the escape hatch. The bars still would have been open. The sporting events still would have been going on. I would it would have been so easy for me to not deal with what this evil that I brought into my to my house it would have just been so easy to to ignore it and, and walk away and and continue down this path and the path of destruction. I understand that, because I felt the same way too. Just based on you became a shed in in the pandemic. Yeah, but, you know, if you shed in as couples, because we saw a lot of marriages didn't make it through the pandemic, still probably not making it. I'm not speaking on the mm -hmm. death cycles of it, but I'm just saying, like, you really got to understand who your mate was again. Like, you really got to reconnect. You know, because of course, there's the Wi-Fi and so into the phone. Like you said, if you cut away that gateway. And you, you know, you decided to climb up out the rabbit hole of the matrix. And then you're looking at reality, like for what it is, was like, we have a problem and I've been had this problem. I didn't want you to find out. So whoever this person was messaging, I really, you made a gambler's decision at that point. It was kind of like, 
if he doesn't do it, this addiction is going to continue to go on. But then if you do it, it's like, uh, I'm going to acknowledge it, but then yeah. I'm not going to tell her the full-blooded truth until that time when you say, like, look, okay, now I didn't hit her, and I'm looking at it hit her. Like, okay, before you say yes, and it comes out way worse, and some pictures hit your phone, I'm going to go ahead and I'm um, just going to confess, and we're going to nip that in the bud, toss that away, and move on. <laughs> Well, and it's funny that you say that because you know, I do think it, it was a gamble. Like I could have lost everything, and by every 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 right, Amy had every right to leave without question. There's like there's no way. Like, and I think her friends probably give her a hard time about why why did you stay with me um, or with Neil? Um, you know, like it's just it's it's hard for her to explain to her friends. Um, how important faith was in this decision. But, but that person that, that messaged Amy um, right before I confessed, it turns out that was the ex-boyfriend of another woman that I had been seeing in Kansas City and paying to have sex with. And he had all the receipts. He'd gotten a hold of his ex-girlfriend's iPad and started sending all these messages that I was sending over to Amy. Uh, but then the, the worst part of that was he finally said, hey, do you want to get revenge on Neil? And, um, and then he started sending her explicit messages and explicit pictures to her Facebook account. And it's just like, you know, like, how could I have brought that much evil into my world and, and not seen it and not noticed it? And, um, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just thankful that that um, God was there waiting for me to help me and give me that that helping hand up. And then, um, you know, with his guidance, I took it from there and, and, and turned my life around and. Like I said, my, my life is a 180. You know, Amy and I spent all spring last year basically on the, our back deck. We bought these little card games, you know, that ask these ridiculous questions like, who's your favorite superhero? And who's, you know, where do you want to go for a romantic date? Kind of just to get to know you type of questions. Mm -hmm. We must have five or six boxes of those things just trying to relearn why we actually got married, why we loved each other. Um, and of course, we had a perfect opportunity because we were all locked down, so we weren't going anywhere. Right. Uh, and so, you know, so we did that. We 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 um, made that connection again, and then you know, we started going to church and we started reading the Bible together. And you know, I will say today, like you, you you're more likely to find me on a Sunday um, watching online sermons than you are than I am watching an NFL game, which is just bonkers to me. Like I just. And then, but like I, that's what I want to be doing. Like I've got this new heart with new desires, and I just sort of cleaned out. I, I, I when I talk about you know filling up on or getting rid of the junk food of your mind and filling up on the good stuff, I fill up on what I consider good stuff for me. I don't have time for any of that other stuff. I don't have time to think about pornography or the addiction or meeting anybody else or going out and getting drunk. That that's that stuff is all just gone. You know, because once you over time, you know, eventually when you stop thinking about it, it just, you know, it sort of melts away. And it does. Uh, and once it starts melting away at your wallet, too, at the same time, it really <laughs> does start yeah. to disappear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Wow, this is incredible. Like, you got to admit, because when you hear, when I, when I first read the bio you had sent me, I'm like, oh, I got to put this on the podcast. Like, <laughs> literally. Because, the purpose of like who they want and with it being merged with like everything entertainment exposed to be exactly that no matter who the person is whether it's an inspiration story like we cover all niches like i never set out to give it a specific niche when sure. it came to podcasting i was just like look 
I saw a couple of people do podcasts on YouTube channels and I was subscribed to a couple, you know, on the phone and stuff. I'm like, if that's all they're doing is just getting the mic and just talking to people, I can do that with no problem. So all my friends and my family was like, if you're going to do it, then you're going to be the best at it. You're going to do it. And, you know, here I am a year later actually getting acknowledgments for being awarded for doing podcasts. That's awesome. I have a ton of respect for people that do podcasts because I know it's not easy to to find a subject and then they keep doing it over and over and over again. And I'm sure trying to build an audience at the beginning, um, you know, and and get that following, like it's, it takes a lot of perseverance um, to be able to do that. So I, I I applaud you for sticking with it. Um, Much appreciated. Yeah. So where can we purchase the book, though? Like, where is this book available? Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So you can purchase the book at uh, Mm neilgetslow.com. And and I'll I'll make sure the link's included so you'll have it for folks that are watching it. And, um, um, yeah, it's uh, if you go to neilgetslow.com, you can buy it there. You can also buy it on Amazon as well. But if you um, buy it from my website, um, we're donating $5 from every book sale to Run to Stop It. It's an organization in Kansas City that's um, that's fighting sex trafficking in the U.S. and they donate all their money to diff- various different groups that are that are um, that are fighting that um, you know sex trafficking, which you know is obviously now a big passion point for me. So humbled to be able to do that. And um, yeah, there you go. That's the website. Absolutely, man. This is incredible, incredible incredible story i hope y'all enjoyed it y'all should give me some props listeners and viewers out there i done flew solo for the first time in a long time on podcast because my co-host crew the misfits are all tied up on this friday evening handling some other business because they all about business but at the same time you know i just want to send a salute to my team the misfits crew you know i'm holding it down nice work (laughs) right exactly nice work it's crazy because I normally can do it by myself. It's just, I don't know, I get so wound up with nervousness. Sometimes I get that stage fright. Sure. I think for me, it's a gift. It's like a gift to me because I'm like, you know, you're not going to be great at what you do if you stop being nervous. Like mm. if you finally, yeah. you know, right. get to that one episode and then you meet your idol and then you sit down and you can be confident to handle it, knock it out with like no screw ups. Then you know it's time to move on to another field. That's just my persona on it. <laughs> yeah, I no, I don't know where this number popped into my head. I heard it there somewhere. Like, if you spend ten thousand hours on anything, no matter what it is, you will be great at it. Um, <laughs> whether it's playing tennis or playing the piano, you put in enough time, um, you're going to be good at it. So, man, keep it up on your side. Keep interviewing. Keep talking to people. Absolutely, bro. So, I want to send a special thank you to you for taking time out your busy schedule to find a meet up with me to have this talk and discuss it i enjoyed it i don't really do a script so i don't really have a list of questions because i usually let the person i interview the interviewee end up answering all the questions and you i feel like we cover every basis and um i appreciate you coming who they want and anytime you want to come back with the full set of the crew you're more than welcome to come back and share your story or revamp or talk about new projects because i'm hoping maybe there could be like a movie in this i'm saying a movie vision i keep waiting for that i'm, I'm, I'm it's going to take a little while to maybe get discovered i do see a, a movie out there somewhere i mean this is a perfect lifetime movie right because you don't have to be too descriptive with movies because you know but you just i think that story 
Because it reminds me of a movie me and one of my uh, college buddies watched one time. There was about this guy who just lost his wife through a, through a divorce or it was in the process of going through a divorce. I don't know if you see. I can't recall the movie. But I know it had something to do with him ending up falling in love with the prostitute in the storyline. Mm, wow. I think it was a yeah. UK-based type movie. Mm. But he ends up falling in love with a prostitute. But then at the same time, the prostitute kind of she ended up having feelings for him too, but she also knew he still had feelings for his wife. So mm. by the end of the movie, I think when he finally was going back to the wife and thinking it was working out, turned to find out his wife was already moving in with a whole other guy the whole entire time anyway wow. in that storyline. And he ended up still falling in love with the, I think him and the prostitute ends up starting a full committed relationship and getting married. <laughs> that sounds like a crazy story, but I guess I've got one too. Hey, it's out there, people. So if anytime y'all want to share y'all stories, y'all come to who they want. I'm all about putting your stories. And don't worry, people, we will not embarrass you, okay? This is not TMZ or any of those people. And this has just been a pleasure having you here in the studio. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Thanks for um, letting me share my story with everybody. Absolutely. So y'all go get this man book. Y'all go to that website, neilgetslow.com, as you see the description below. Purchase the book and help you know, with the donations to this nonprofit so we can help other people out there, you know, that need this type of help. I appreciate y'all for listening and viewing. Again, this has been a great Who They Want podcast show, and I'll see you guys next week.